Bill Clinton has fallen, sports ratings are stagnating, and riots are escalating. I'm Josiah Everton, and this is The Glorious Rescue. Well, here we are, another episode of The Glorious Rescue. This is episode number 17, my lucky number. I don't necessarily know why 17 is my lucky number, but it is. So maybe this is the episode we'll break through on those top charts. And if we are going to do so, the way it will happen is if you continue to share this episode, if you do so, please tag The Glorious Rescue over on Instagram. I do right now want to have two brief, quick calls to action. One is this week before our next episode, obviously this is being released on a Tuesday, on our very next episode, by the time our next episode releases on Friday, I want to have a quick call to action to have you personally recommend our show to one person, whether that be a family member, a friend, by phone, call, text, or just personal conversation or whatnot. Just personally recommend one-on-one this show, if you do enjoy it, obviously, to one person by the time our next episode releases on Friday. And then also on top of that, right now, as you're listening, I just want you to head on over to Instagram and direct message us. I want you to direct message Either maybe your favorite episode, your favorite portion of an episode, maybe a particular topic you enjoyed me speaking on, maybe it was a particular end of show segment, whatever it is that comes to your mind, it could be anything general or specific. Just right now, as I'm continuing to talk, just open up that Instagram app, direct message me and let me know what it is, just so as I continue to plan for future episodes, I have a little bit more for reference. Also, I guess you could say another quick preliminary would just be more exciting developments with guests. We have a few in mind, a few we're going to be reaching out to. So just stay tuned for more guests. And don't forget to head on back to our previous episodes if you haven't caught up on those to just get your fill of all the day-to-day, all the latest. We're going to jump right into many stories we have. Much more craziness as always in the world. We're going to jump through it, sift through it, briefly touch on all of it, and then hop into our end-of-show segment. So first... We're going to talk about briefly more developments with inhumane China. So in our last episode, we briefly touched on the idea of China forcing people of faith, of their religion, to renounce their religion, to take down symbols of their religion in order to appease the party, the Chinese Communist Party, which again is an inhumane, egregious, horrible party set up and really a dictatorship in China. But really, according to a report over at The Bitter Winter, It is a publication that has been cited by the U.S. Department of State. It says here that communist officials in certain villages have called together meetings of officials in local towns and villages to, quote, remove crosses, religious symbols, and images from the homes of people of faith who receive social welfare payments and replace them with the portraits of Chairman Mao and President Jinping. The officials were instructed to annul the subsidies to those who protest the order. There was a member of a certain church in one of those local districts that said they were forced to remove their calendar of Jesus and their religious writings, quotations from the Bible, and replace them with an image of Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong, the communist dictator who is single-handedly responsible for the murdering of millions of his own citizens and others. Millions. Murdering more people during his time of rule, than the number of Jews that were murdered under Nazi rule. About six, seven million. More than that. He was forced to remove a statue of Jesus, or a calendar of Jesus, I should say, and portraits of Bible verses, I believe it was, or scripture references, and replace it with an image 
of a communist dictator responsible for the death of tens of millions of his own citizens. That's what's going on in China. Again, we do have it bad in America and the idea of government intervention and religious freedom and the suppression of that religious freedom, but it is nothing in comparison to what we see in China right now. But I just want to continue to keep you updated on that. And again, we're going to briefly touch on that as we continue to talk about ESPN and the wonderful NBA. So next brief story is some more developments with the Maxwell story that I have promised all of you we will continue to update you on. And that is interesting because we have developments now with Bill Clinton. I know we all thought it couldn't happen, that it would never happen where the glorious, morally chaste and upright Bill Clinton would not have these types of allegations against him. Well, unfortunately, your wishes of a perfect Bill Clinton have have been tainted, to say the least. We know Maxwell is awaiting trial in a federal prosecution for uh, allegations, obviously horrible allegations. I'm not going to get very lengthy at all regarding this because I don't want to spend too much time on it and I want to keep it appropriate, obviously, for our entire audience. But basically, reports have been released now uh, where witnesses have confirmed Bill Clinton being on the island, the same island that Jeffrey Epstein was convicted of for minors, and I'll just put it generally like that, that same island that has been known and obviously was prosecuted on the grounds of for Jeffrey Epstein for those accounts that he was put in prison for or found guilty for. Bill Clinton, according to eyewitnesses in multiple reports, was seen on that island at the same time as young children were, and two young girls to be specific. The questionnaire, the interrogation or interview was as follows. It says, individual one said, when you say you asked him, why is Bill Clinton here? Where was here? Individual said, on the island. When you were present with Jeffrey Epstein and Bill Clinton on the island, who else was there? Just Lane, who is this Maxwell individual who's being prosecuted as well right now. Emmy, and there was two young girls that I could identify. I never really knew them well anyways. It was just two girls from New York. And were all of you staying at Jeffrey's house on the island, including Bill Clinton? That's correct. He had about four or five different villas on his island, separate from the main house, and we all stayed in the villas. So he has been reported on the island at the same time as Epstein and other individuals. To put it very generally speaking, more developments with Bill Clinton will be unraveling. Also, on top of that, there's been pilots and other reports now that have found him on the flight logs. I believe it was 27 times either with Epstein or to and from the island or something like this, this island that's well known for the charges that Jeffrey Epstein was found for. So many developments that 10 years ago we all thought were crazy. Five years ago, we thought were crazy. Two years ago, we maybe thought were crazy, weren't completely sure. But we all thought Alex Jones was crazy with the globalism and all that and the elitism and all, all that he rants and raves about. But a lot of it's coming true. I think we're going to see more of it. Unfortunately, it is unfortunate with Hollywood, with politicians, with a lot of elitists. I think we are going to see this. And again, it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate, very unfortunate, because that is the real problem plaguing America right now. There are still 40 million slaves, I believe it is, in the world right now. None of them held in the U.S. other than we're talking about human trafficking victims. Those are the only real slaves in America right now. Those victim of human trafficking. And that's the real slavery we need to be fighting right now. Anyways, moving on, I want to briefly touch on California. California policy over the last few days. We now have 
more releasing of prisoners. California has released uh, at least a thousand, I want to say thousands of inmates from its prison. Not inmates who are in there for simple nonviolent crimes or things like that. For instance, there's an individual who is a convicted murderer. He was serving an 80, or she was serving an 84 year sentence. She was about 20 years in. She's 44 years old. She was convicted when she was about mid 20s. She's now mid 40s. So she's 20 years into her 84 year sentence for first degree murder and really an awful, awful case, really that charges that were brought against her that she was found guilty for. She has been released. And this is obviously anecdotal, I understand, but this is not anecdotal in the sense of this is the only one, but that there are many instances of violent criminals being let back on the street in order to open up the prisons to air them out to supposedly help the coronavirus situation. As promised, I wanna talk a little bit about the NBA sports in general, the influence of China in all of this, and we'll just briefly touch on this. And then one more story, hop into our end of show segment as promised that we have been a little bit lacking in our previous episodes. Obviously not necessarily the episode regarding the electoral college or our episode with Senator Morrell, which both of those I do recommend you go back and listen to. Our most recent episode covers all those current events. If that is kind of the portion of the episode you enjoy the most, I definitely recommend hitting up our last episode, our most recent episode, where we talk more about current events than anything else. But here we go with the NBA. We're seeing a lot of social activism in sports right now. I just want to make it clear that just because you don't like social activism in sports doesn't mean you don't like social activism. I know many people who are supporters of the the BLM movement or are supporters of a lot of uh, social activism who do not like seeing it in sports. And I think that's okay. Just because you want to turn on football and watch football and not feel like you're turning on CNN doesn't mean you're a horrible person and you don't even, and that doesn't necessarily mean you don't support what's on CNN. So I want to make that first, obviously that clear. I think that's something that probably a lot of people agree on, but there's a lot of protesting. And by protesting, I mean the kneeling for the national anthems, the NBA now allowing social statements being placed on jerseys, the wearing of pregame like warm-up clothes with social quotes and all that stuff. Whether or not you agree with it, it's okay to say that you don't like it in sports, that it's a politicizing of sports leagues. And the worst part about it is the NBA's deep, hidden ties with the Chinese government. It's not something that's extremely hidden. It's pretty well known. China ties with the NBA. So could you imagine being an organization allowing your players to stand up for quote-unquote social injustice in America when you're tied to a country that is literally enslaving their own people, forcing them into labor in concentration camps, or forcing them to replace their symbols of faith in their homes with communist dictators who murdered tens of millions of their own citizens? Could you imagine being a league that allows that? A league that is trying to apparently and supposedly stand for social injustice by allowing their players to wear certain jerseys when they're tied to a country that does those horrible and inhumane actions. It's just ridiculous. It's a horrible double standard. It's complete hypocrisy. It's ridiculous. I just want to make a quick note that there was Jonathan Isaac who stood. He was the only individual who stood during a an NBA game for the national anthem in his jerseys. His sales for his jerseys have gone through the roof, garnering huge support, national support over his act. And really, that's the act of valor right now, unfortunately, to stand for a national anthem. Unfortunately, that is the side that you must take, that you must give a reason for if you take. 
that you, if you take that side, you really have to justify it. It is unfortunate. Okay, our last brief story, because I want to spend a good amount of time on our end of show segment, are the riots and some demands in Louisville. There are now rioters giving demands to local businesses. Basically, there are there's an East Market District in downtown Louisville, and it is known as New Lou, basically standing for New Louisville. And left-wing activists gave demands, I believe it was eight demands, to these local businesses and basically stated if you don't follow them, your business will be threatened. I would say probably from physical violence, but also social media slander, um, bad reviews online and things like that. They're just basically demanding. It really is terrorism. That's what it is. Not only is it terrorism, but it's criminal extortion. That's literally the definition of criminal extortion. So it's ridiculous. We're seeing it quite a bit all over. The Minneapolis Police Department, we've talked about them a little bit, and obviously they're facing severe cuts and things like that. They gave out a statement saying in regards to how to treat or how to handle rioting and robberies and things like that. They said, quote, be prepared to give up your cell phone and person wallet. Another one they said was do as they say. Basically, the police department has been so handcuffed that they are now giving out reports basically telling the citizens to just roll over and let the rioters do what they want. If you're a rioter and you read something like that, you are all the more emboldened because now you know, obviously you're reading this and now you know that the people are being recommended to just roll over for you. But you also now know that they're putting this statement out because the police department is doing nothing about it. And it's not necessarily the police department's fault. It's the politics above them that are really throwing them and dragging them through the mud. It's really that that is causing these issues. And so you're going to have many more innocent people being taken advantage of because of that. There's also protests in Portland. These have kind of been the hot hot spot forts that are now burning the Bible. There's a lot of flag burning. Obviously, we know that. But now there's Bible burning. And this once again goes back to the deeper side that I've consistently communicated to all of you as listeners about, that it is not about we know it's not about George Floyd anymore. We know it's not really about racial injustice anymore. I'm sure there are a few innocent people who do believe they're fighting for racial injustice. But it is not about that. It's about tearing down the American system. Once again, this proves it, the burning down of the American flag, but of the Bible. It's those Judeo-Christian values that are really at stake here, that are being burned, that are being castigated, and that are being shamed in society right now and in our culture. That's really what we have to look for because... They're shifting the culture. We look at it now as crazy, but 10 years ago, we looked at burning the flag as crazy, and now it's almost socially acceptable. You're just doing it in the name of social justice. And that's really what we're going to see over the next few years is the burning of the Bible now as that. Again, whether or not you even believe the Bible to be true or it's your foundation for for your faith and practice, you can still value the Bible as a fundamental portion of our nation's history, as really in our nation's founding. Again, going back to those Judeo-Christian values that our country has been founded upon. So it's really sad. It's really frustrating. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the foundation of our nation in our end of show segment of the founding era. Welcome to a long-awaited segment of the founding era. This is a segment we haven't done in many episodes, and I'm very excited for it. What we're going to discuss today is the Constitutional Convention. We're going to briefly touch on the context, kind of the background moving into it, the purpose of it, and then how it applies today very briefly. This is kind of the general outline we kind of follow for a lot of these segments. But just to briefly hop into it, the Constitutional Convention 
happened in the late 1780s. The last battle of the American War for Independence was in 1781, really. It was the Battle of Yorktown where the main British army surrendered, and that was really kind of marked the victory of American independence. And that was in 1781, and it took a few years of deliberation for the treaty to finally be signed and completely ended in 1783. That was pretty normal for treaties to take so long after the end of a battle through correspondence and things like that. But then after that, American history really marked some decay, some relaxing. It was because they had just barely beat back this British army, overwhelmed by them, really, and they were able to beat them. And in the wake of this, it kind of grew a little bit of a spirit of complacency under the Articles of Confederation. We talked about this, a weaker national government wasn't really able to handle certain situations, like, for instance, Shays' Rebellion, where you just really had armed citizenry just mob ruling going all over the place, kind of what you see right now with riots. It wasn't really like the idea of the American War for Independence, of idealism, but really more like the rioting that we're seeing now. So in the wake of Shays' Rebellion, we have the Continental Congress that has been happening and really meeting and convening throughout the American War for Independence. This Continental Congress is. But in this Continental Congress, as this rebellion is coming through and we have weak Articles of Confederation, the economy slurring, we have debt accruing with national governments all around the world, James Madison and John Hamilton move in this Continental Congress to convene a general convention to solve this issue. And this is what we now know as the Constitutional Convention. It is interesting to note that John Jay, Thomas Jefferson, and John Adams were not present Thomas Jefferson was in France, I believe, as like an ambassador. But that's the brief background. What is the purpose? Again, the Articles of Confederation were so weak that there were many things and many items that the federal government urgently needed to do, but it could not happen because they were so weak. It was because a weak federal government was set up, because we were so worried about dictatorship. We were so worried about tyranny like we had just suffered on, under the British rule. So this here was a convention to redefine the federal government. And we've talked about Montesquieu before. Montesquieu, again, was the most influential work in our constitution. So the idea was, again, developing a stronger federal government because it was so needed. But how do we enlarge this federal government while preserving individual liberties? And this is where they come to the ideas of separation of powers, bicameralism, federalism, and all these other things that Montesquieu develops in his writings that the founders inculcate into this convention. So that's really what it was. There was lots of not negotiation, but deliberation. There is a difference in Paul Ray, who's a classicist historian. He kind of talks about it a little bit more. He says, negotiation is when you say, I want A and you want B, and I'm going to try to get A. I'm going to try to exploit your weakness and, and I'm going to get A. But deliberation is about that common good. What is a, for instance, just for sake of that illustration, what is A? So negotiation is more, I'm going to try to get my way. And deliberation is what is the best way to bring about this. So it was a lot of deliberation, a lot of discussion. And this discussion really brought a lot of bitterness, a lot of high points of tension, where there were actually many influential leaders, many highly respected individuals that wanted to storm off and just completely leave the convention. For instance, at one point, James Madison, who really authored the actual Constitution, wanted to get up and leave. And, in fact, stated he was going to get up and leave, but he eventually stuck with it, stayed through, and helped push 
a lot of this deliberation through. And there were many points of tension that rolled over for decades even into our early American history of bitterness and rivalries and stuff because of the deliberation in this convention. But they were willing to set aside their differences because they were deeply committed to the survival of the Republic. And many of them were living, well, obviously all of them lived through the War of Independence, but many of them were directly involved, like George Washington. But they were all so deeply committed to this survival of our nation that they were willing to put aside these differences. There were so many high points of tension, but they were willing to stay through in order to promote the preservation of liberty and the perpetuation of our republic. That is the driving point, the main pinnacle of this episode here that I want to communicate to all of you. This really here is the culmination of the episode because we see lots of differences in American politics right now. And it comes down to the idea of setting aside maybe petty differences. And I'm not talking about compromising true ideals or true beliefs and principles. But I mean the idea of at least agreeing on Americanism. The idea of agreeing on the principles upon which we were founded on. That we really don't even see that agreeance in modern politics right now. And again, it goes back to the third American crisis that we talk about. But I give a rallying call to all of us. A rallying call of unity to unite us all under those common principles that we find in our Declaration of Independence. Again, that we are all created equal, all in the image of God, given certain unalienable rights that are transcendent, transcendent above government because they're given by God. And it is government's duty only to protect them because they're not really given to government's authority to pass them out. That again, uniting under those principles being willing to set aside maybe some of our petty differences, being willing, to, being willing to push through those high points of tension to unite under that banner. That's a call to action I bring to all of you, a call to action I hope you very much resonate with and is very encouraging and challenging to you. Again, don't forget to subscribe. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button. Spotify would be the follow button. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review. It does help us very much. Again, right now, go ahead and direct message The Glorious Rescue with your favorite aspect of the show, whatever it may be general or specific. We'll be back here on Friday with all of the latest. I'm Josiah Everton, and this is The Glorious Rescue.